What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. We got some NFL Week 1 reactions. The Dallas Cowboys trampled the New York Giants on Sunday Night Football 40-0. The Rams. Did you guys see this coming? They beat Seattle 30-13, to people. We thought that the Rams were going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL and that Seattle was going to be amongst the best teams in the NFC. Well, that obviously didn't look like it was going to happen this past Sunday because judging from how LA manhandled Seattle, you would think that the Rams may end up being able to overachieve this year. We're also going to be diving into the Browns beating the Bengals, the Chargers losing to the Miami Dolphins. Before we dive into all of the week one action, if this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. This is not just a YouTube channel. You can find every episode of JT Sports Live available on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to support us, leave us with a five-star review. We will greatly appreciate it. All you got to do is take your cell phone, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, type in JT Sports Podcast and it will pop up and leave us with a five-star review or you can go down to the description down below and give us a five-star review via the Spotify and Apple Podcast links. If you haven't given us a five-star review, make sure you go ahead and do so. You know, there's an old saying that goes, the game isn't over until the final whistle blows. Well, the Dallas Cowboys proved that saying to be false when they destroyed and dismantled the New York Giants on Sunday Night Football 40-0, and it didn't take the referee blowing the final whistle for us to know this game was over. This game was over at halftime when it was 26-0. The New York Giants, this is a really demoralizing loss for them. Do you know how embarrassing it is to get blown out in the NFL game? 40-0, you mean to tell me that you couldn't put no points up on the board on offense? With all of the free agent acquisitions that the New York Giants brought in, Paris Campbell, you trade for Darren Waller in free agency, then you have a really good draft, you get Jalen Hyatt, John Michael Smith, and you have so much optimism going into week one just to have it snatched out of your soul by the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys showed in this game why they need to be viewed as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. If you didn't believe in the Cowboys being able to make it out of the NFC prior to this game, you might need to start reevaluating your expectations for the Dallas Cowboys this year. This team is legit and a large reason for why the Cowboys have a great chance at being able to finally win it all this year is because of this defense. This defense gave the New York Giants offense Zero room to operate. Obviously, when you look at how this defensive line manhandled the New York Giants offensive line up front, it obviously was a big reason why the Giants offense couldn't get anything going. 
Michael Parsons was humming off the side. You had anybody who was getting blocked by Evan Neal having a big impact on the game. Dante Fowler. When's the last time you heard that name? I haven't heard that name in years. He was making his presence felt in this game. Evan Neal in year two, we thought we were going to see some major steps in development. And after his week one performance against Dallas, I'm kind of going to start leaning towards labeling him a bust. Because it doesn't take long to figure out if a guy can or cannot play. Offensive tackle, corner, wide receiver, linebacker are instant impact positions. Meaning that it doesn't take long for a guy to show you how good he is. When you're playing cornerback, wide receiver, or any position on the offensive line, you don't need three to four years to develop. It's a plug-and-play position. Either you can play or you can't, and it doesn't take too long to find out that. Evan Neal doesn't look like he's a good pick. It looks like it was a bust. And for the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, they obviously look like they were ready to play for this game. Meanwhile, Brian Dable... And the New York Giants, I mean, did they even prepare for the Dallas Cowboys? Did they know what the hell they were walking into in this game? Because it didn't look like it. And then for the life of me, why would they leave Daniel Jones in for the limp that they did when this game was already out of hand? I mean, this dude was getting whacked back there like a -a whack-a-mole. The offensive line can't protect them. It's raining. It's a downpour. He's getting big hit after big hit. I don't get why Brian Dable will leave their franchise quarterback in the game for him to get beat down like that. It wouldn't make no sense to me. You might as well go ahead and let Tyrod Taylor take the beat down from the terrible offensive line play rather than letting your franchise quarterback take it in the game that pretty much is all but over. The Dallas Cowboys, this is one of the best teams in the NFL. This is one of the best teams that the Dallas Cowboys have had in a very long time. This defensive line stacked. Demarcus Lawrence, Mozzie Smith, Michael Parsons, Dante Fowler. They got depth. They got talent on all phases of this defensive line. They got guys who can get after the quarterback, guys who can plug and stop the run the linebackers are really good the cornerback position is better than what it was last year Stephon Gilmore brings a really different element to this secondary that Dallas didn't have in the past in the past it was Trayvon Diggs and you have to pray to God that you could get some serviceable play out of your second cornerback position the second cornerback spot has been a huge carousel For the Dallas Cowboys, Stephon Gilmore has finally filled that weakness that Dallas has had on this defense for over two years. This is a defense that has absolutely no weaknesses. There's not really a lot of ways that you can attack and exploit this defense if you can't defend against this defensive line in this pass rush. The Giants offense, they got exposed in this game. I don't think it's just... Week one rust, 
I think that the Dallas Cowboys exposed that the Giants don't have a talented enough team to be able to make it to the playoffs with them having one of the most difficult schedules in the NFL this season. If your wide receivers are struggling against the Dallas Cowboys secondary, what do you think they're going to do against the Philadelphia Eagles? The Washington Commanders, who also have a really solid secondary and a really good defensive line, how are you going to match up against some of the better teams on your schedule if you don't have a good offensive line or wide receivers that can consistently create separation? Paris Campbell was a mid-free agent signing. He's not a true number one wide receiver. You don't have that on your team right now. You got Darren Waller, who is a good number one option when he's healthy, but outside of him, you mean to tell me that you look at Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton and think these are guys who are going to be able to get it done against some of the top teams in the league? Stop it. We got to be realistic. And Giants fans got mad at me when I said this wasn't a playoff team before the season. And it kind of looks like I was proven right, judging by the result of this game. Let's be honest. Most people didn't think that the Giants were going to be able to win this game, but nobody expected for them to get shut out 40-0 on national television in front of a national audience. Nobody expected this blowout. You expected for the Giants to at least be better than what they were last year. Giants fans all off season were hollering, we got so much better that we're going to be able to close the gap between us and the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. Well, how did that go for you? After watching this game, do you really feel like this team is better this year than what it was last year? I think that the New York Giants... This offseason made lateral moves. They got a little bit better, but in terms of them separating themselves amongst the rest of the teams in this division, they didn't do a good job at that. There still is a big gap between the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders. The gap between the Giants and the Cowboys didn't really get closed. As a matter of fact, it probably got a little bit wider because Dallas looks like an even better team this season than what they were last year. The Giants' offseason was mid. Their offensive line doesn't look that improved. Their receiving core isn't all that improved. And I know this is just week one. You can say, you got to stop overreacting, JT. You got to give them more time. When you get your ass beat like this, this bad 40-0 week one is not an overreaction. When you play Dallas again, they're probably going to smash you again. Maybe not 40-0. You may be able to put some points on the board the second go around. But I doubt you beat Dallas this year. This is just an all-around better team. And with how difficult New York schedule is this year, with what they did this offseason, I don't think that they have a good enough roster to be able to be a nine-win team with their schedule. They didn't really get too many difference makers. They got some solid pieces in free agency, but nobody who really gives them a huge advantage when they're going against the Dallas Cowboys outside of Darren Waller. And where the hell was he in this game? The Giants are in a division that's really tough, where you have two of the best teams in the NFC that you have to face off against twice a year. You're not going to be able to 
beat Philadelphia and New York with what you currently have on offense. You got Saquon and Darren Waller, but you need more. You could have used DeAndre Hopkins. You didn't even go after him. There were several high-profile wide receivers that the New York Giants could have used that could have gave them a big advantage in this game, but they didn't go after them. When you're going up against Stephon Gilmore and Trayvon Diggs, Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, and Darius Slayton and Jalen Hyatt are not going to get the job done. The Giants don't have a great team. They may have a solid team, but do they have a team that's good enough for them to overcome a very difficult schedule and to find a way to backdoor their way into the playoffs like they did last year? I doubt it. This offensive line was terrible. They allowed seven sacks. It doesn't matter if it's week one or week 10. Your offensive line comes out and they get dominated like that. Your offensive line is a problem. I've never seen a team have this bad of a performance week one and then all of a sudden just turn it around. The Giants offensive line still has some concerns at offensive guard. I like John Michael Smith's at center. But I don't know who the hell they got playing guard. And it looks like Evan Hill at right tackle, he's more likely to get somebody killed at quarterback than he is to end up becoming a high caliber right tackle. I know it's just week one. It may seem like an overreaction, but you had all offseason to prepare for this game and to get your ass beat 40-0 when you had so long to prepare for Dallas is a massive disappointment. And I think that this game is foreshadowing how tough this season is going to be for the New York Giants. Having great coaching can get you far if you're going against teams that aren't that good and don't have good coaching. But when you're going up against some of the best teams in the NFL with one of the toughest schedules in the league, good coaching with a decent roster isn't going to get you a lot of results when you're going against teams that have coaching that's just as good or better than you with also way better teams and way better rosters. Coaching is only a advantage when you're going against marginal teams that don't have great coaching or have subpar coaching. And when you're going against the best of the best, you're going against teams that have elite rosters, elite quarterbacks, and elite head coach. The New York Giants don't have an elite roster. They got a solid roster, but not an elite roster. And Brian Dable is an elite head coach, but elite coaching isn't going to get you far when you're going against Dallas and Philadelphia, who also have elite coaching and better rosters than you. I think that this game was a reality check for New York Giants fans that, you know, you still have a long ways to go to catch up to Philly and the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't think Giants fans expected to be Super Bowl contenders this year or to even win this game. You probably were expecting for this to be a competitive one-possession game. And the fact that it wasn't shows you that the Giants may not be the team this season that they were last year. Coaching only gets you so far until you're going against other good coaches and other good teams. The Dallas Cowboys made a big statement Sunday night, taking apart and picking apart the New York Giants. Do you know that the Dallas Cowboys were the first team since 2009 to have a offensive, defensive, and special teams touchdown in their week one game? 
You talk about all-around domination, Jesus. You better be really, really scared when you face the Dallas Cowboys because I really believe that this team is going to be good enough to get to the NFC Championship. I know that the Dallas Cowboys have disappointed a lot in the past, and we really shouldn't be judging them and giving them too much praise for this win because the Cowboys are one of those teams that you can't give them credit for what they do in a regular season because you should only be judging them by what they do in the postseason. That's what we judge the Dallas Cowboys on. Their season is going to be considered a failure or a success based on what they do in the postseason. But the fact that they were able to come in week one and annihilate the New York Giants the way they did gives me more reason to feel optimistic about their chances at being able to make it out of the NFC. When you're expected to be one of the best teams in the NFL, you got to play like it. You got to dominate the teams that you're better than. And that's what Dallas did against the New York Giants. Great win for Mike McCarthy and company. Terrible loss for the New York Giants, man. This was the biggest surprise out of all the games that I've watched during week one of this year's NFL season, man, the freaking Los Angeles Rams dominated Seattle 30 to freaking 13 on the road in Seattle. Who saw this coming? We were all talking about how bad the Rams potentially could be this offseason and should they potentially be looking to tank for Caleb Williams? I mean, you look at Matthew Stafford in this game, you talk about master class performances, it doesn't get any better than what we saw out of Mr. Stafford against Seattle. Matthew Stafford could do no wrong. He was throwing to receivers that we never heard before, such as Tutu Atwell, Puka Nakua, a rookie out of BYU, Matthew Stafford was delivering some absolutely beautiful and masterful dimes against the Seahawks defense that a lot of people expect to be really good this year. I mean, Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua, none of us knew who the hell either one of these two guys were, and most of us are now going to have one of these two guys on our fantasy squads moving forward for the remainder of this season. You see... This is why you can always judge teams based on talent. You see, when you were looking at this game on paper, it favored Seattle and it says Seattle was going to dominate. But you see, what you can account for on paper is the impact of elite coaching. Sean McVay doesn't need elite studs at every position on offense to have an elite offense. All he needs is a capable quarterback and receivers that can get open and a serviceable offensive line. And this offense can do damage with him calling the plays. And we saw that. Seattle absolutely could not get the Rams off the field in third down situations. The Rams were 11 of 17 in third down situations which is absolutely insane considering the fact that a lot of these guys that they have playing in this game were either first or second year players. They don't have a team full of veterans. They got a team full of rookies. They drafted like 14 rookies in this past year's draft and they had the largest undrafted free agency haul out of all the teams this offseason. So they're basically working with backup car pieces and they still are figuring out ways 
They get big wins over really good teams. Seattle is not a bad team. Seattle is going to be one of the best teams in the NFC this year. But for the LA Rams to put on the clinic that they did in the second half against Seattle is a testament to how good Sean McVay is as a head coach and why you can't overlook the Los Angeles Rams. If you were hoping that the Rams would be bad enough for them to be able to get Caleb Williams, you better start rethinking things because I don't think the Rams are going to have one of the worst records in the NFL. It is week one and the Rams very well could lose every game for the remainder of this season. But you look at how they played against Seattle. If they can get that same performance out of some of their younger players for a good majority of this year, there's a great chance that they could find themselves in the seventh seed in the postseason. This defense doesn't have a lot of proven players. Outside of Aaron Donald, we don't know who the hell is going to step up and be the second pass rusher outside of him. We don't know how good this secondary is going to be. We don't know how good the freaking linebackers are going to be. But it doesn't matter as long as the coaching is intact. And if the LA Rams coaching staff can continue to find ways to win games and find ways to outcoach teams that they have a talent disadvantage against, there's a way that the Rams could maybe win eight, nine games and sneak into the playoffs. And they did this without Cooper Cup, by the way. Matthew Stafford stays healthy for the remainder of this season. If he can play the whole entire year, I think the Rams can hang with any team in the NFL. This offensive line looked really good. I was not expecting this offensive line to be good at all this year. They had a lot of new faces on this offensive line. They got a lot of players that we don't even know too much about that played a phenomenal game against Seattle. Seattle doesn't have a bad defensive line. They got a lot of depth on that defensive line. Multiple guys like Daryl Taylor, Uchenanuosu, who had eight plus sacks last year, nine sacks. And yet, those guys got neutralized in this game against the L.A. Rams. The Seattle Seahawks, I mean, you talk about an embarrassment. What the hell? You were supposed to come in and walk out of this game 1-0. And you're playing in front of the 12th man, a place that you very seldom lose at. And now, Seattle, in their last 10 games with this loss, they're 3-7. and seven. This offensive line... They played a really terrible game, and they weren't going against the stout defensive line. Like, we didn't know who the hell was playing on the Rams' defensive line outside of Aaron Donald. And, I mean, he was single-handedly train-wrecking Seattle's offensive line. There was one play where Aaron Donald broke through and damn near delivered a hit stick 2.0 to Geno Smith. And Geno Smith, he said, oh, my God. Yeah, oh, my God is right. If Aaron Donald would have landed and he was able to put his hands on Geno Smith during that play, he would have sent Geno Smith straight to God. Oh, my God is right. Because you was about to meet the maker if Aaron Donald would have got his hands on you in that play. They also struggled to generate big plays, which is something that seldomly happened last season. Seattle had one of the best offenses in the NFL when it came to getting big plays downfield in the passing game. Geno Smith was the NFL's best deep ball thrower in 2022, and in this game, he couldn't get any deep plays downfield. 
Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, it seemed like everybody was getting clamped against a secondary that is really, really questionable. There's no Jalen Ramsey on this secondary. There's no Eric Weddle. They got guys that you never heard before who are young in their careers who are trying to show that they have what it takes to be a starter on this team. You see, the Rams may not be the most talented team in the league, but they're young and they're hungry. Sean McVay is hungry. You know, he's not okay with what the hell happened last year. His mind wasn't all the way invested. He even said if you go and you watch the interview that he did with the Pivot, he said that it wasn't just the team that underperformed, but he underperformed as a head coach. You see a team that's motivated, a head coach who's motivated to overachieve, a team full of young players who not just are trying to make it in the league, but they're trying to make an impact. They're trying to not just prove to the LA Rams that they deserve to be starting at whatever position that they're starting at, but they're trying to show that they have what it takes to be an all-caliber player in the NFL. The Los Angeles Rams are a team that you shouldn't overlook because they're not mega-talented. They got Matthew Stafford. They got Aaron Donald. We don't know when the hell Cooper Cup is going to come back, but it looks like they don't need them, judging by how they manhandle Seattle on the road. This is week one, and we've seen plenty of bad teams get impressive week one victories, but the LA Rams have Sean McVay as their head coach. Sean McVay is too good of a head coach for the Rams to dwindle in mediocrity. At worst, I think that this is a six-win team. At best, I think that they could get nine wins and possibly sneak into the playoffs. But Seattle, you talk about getting outworked. Oh, my goodness. They had no answers for anything that the L.A. Rams did on offense and on defense. And you can say we didn't have Devon Witherspoon. We didn't have Jamal Adams. You were going against the L.A. Rams, dog. The youngest team in the NFL who's throwing out hella rookies out there. You don't get no excuses. You don't. When you're a better team that has a talent advantage, you don't get the excuse of, oh, like we were missing several guys. The biggest selling point on the Seahawks this year is their depth. They got depth on every position on defense and offense. They're deep at corner. They're deep on their front seven. There's no reason, regardless of who the hell was playing and who wasn't, why they should have gotten dominated and outplayed by the Los Angeles Rams 30-13. to Like, you had guys missing, the Rams had Cooper Cup missing, and it didn't matter because they had guys like Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua who were going off. Impressive victory by the LA Rams beating the Seahawks 30-13. to the Cleveland Browns gave the Cincinnati Bengals a smackdown this past Sunday. They beat the Bengals 24-3. And even though I picked the Browns to win this game, I did not see this performance coming out of Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense. You guys know I love me some Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow, what the hell happened to you Sunday, fam? Did you just all of a sudden get paid and forget how to be a good quarterback? No excuse. I don't give a damn if it's week one, week zero, the preseason, OTAs, training camp, Joe Burrow. You are considered to be the second best quarterback in the league 
to Patrick Mahomes. You don't get the luxury of being able to come out in week one and put up less than 100 yards passing against the Cleveland motherfucking Browns. And we're going to give credit to the Cleveland Browns defense. They got a new defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, and you definitely have to be super impressed with what you saw out of that defense. But how much of that was Jim Schwartz and how much of that was just Joe Burrow sucking water through a garden hose? I love Joe Burrow. He's one of my favorite players in the league, but damn, you come out and you put out a dud like that, Joe Burrow? And you're the highest paid player in the history of this league now? Come on, Joe Burrow. You got to do better. You got to do better. I mean, you talk about a defensive clinic? It was one point in this game when Cincinnati had, what, four straight three and outs on offense? With Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burr, and the new improved offensive line. And this is what you do? And I get that Joe Burrow missed a large chunk of training camp. He was going to come out and look a little rusty. But I'm not giving him a pass for the BS that we saw this past Sunday. I, you cannot give Joe Burrow a pass for this performance. Will he get better? He better get better. I mean, the Cleveland Browns. Defense just put on an absolute masterclass performance. Miles Garrett was hitting home. This defensive line looked more improved against the run. I mean, this defense that Cleveland had looked completely different from the defense that we saw out of this team in 2022. Deshaun Watson, he didn't have a great performance. He had a mid-performance, and it's easy to overlook how he played in this game because Joe Burrow played so shitty that, of course, you're not going to give too much thought about how Deshaun Watson played because Cleveland got the win. But I still think that Deshaun Watson still looks very rusty. If you can even call it rust at this point, this may just be the new Deshaun Watson. I had one of my homeboys, my guy Juice, subscribe to his podcast, the Juice Alert, who hit me up talking about something. You saw Deshaun Watson? Hell yeah, I saw Deshaun Watson. And I was far from impressed. 16 to 29, 154 passing yards, one touchdown, one INT, and one touchdown on the ground. This is the kind of performance that we are going to applaud out of somebody who's making $250 million guaranteed. Imagine if Joe Burrow would have brought his A game in this game. Not even his A game. Imagine if Joe Burrow even brought some game to this matchup, how differently this game could have went. You normally don't win games like this when you have mid-quarterback play. But since Joe Burrow played so bad, it was a huge reason why the Browns were able to win this game. Deshaun Watson, he still looks really inconsistent with his accuracy. His decision-making has looked a lot better, but he just doesn't really look all that comfortable in this offense. And you can't use the whole, oh, it's just week one excuse anymore. I mean, we've been making excuses about Deshaun Watson having mid-performances since he came back last year from his suspension. Eventually, when do we just say that this is the new Deshaun Watson? I mean, when is it going to click? The Browns got to play against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And one thing about it is that after a week one loss, Pittsburgh always shows up most of the times. And this Steelers defense is even better than what it was last season, despite the fact that they're not going to have Cam Hayward. 
Cincinnati's defense played solid in this game, given how bad their offense was and how they had to bail them out. But Cleveland, I'm not looking when I'm seeing out of Deshaun Watson. You can make all the excuses you want to. You can continue to say, give Deshaun Watson time. But how long do I have to wait for a $250 million guaranteed quarterback to play like he's worth all that guaranteed money? I've yet to see Deshaun Watson have a single performance yet with the Browns that showed me the Cleveland Browns made the right decision by giving up so much and giving up all that money to get Deshaun Watson. This was a game that I needed Deshaun Watson to at least have a solid performance. This was not a solid performance. This was a bare bones performance. I'm paying you $250 million guaranteed to do this. If I'm giving you this much money, I expect dominance. I expect at least a two-attack valor performance. You know, the rushing game is still there. Nick Chubb is still a monster, still one of the best backs in the league. And Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, I think they got a really solid group of receivers. They got a really good offensive line, even though they lost their starting right tackle out for the season again. But Cleveland has a lot of depth on their offensive line, a lot of talent there. So even though they're going to be without their right tackle for the rest of the year, they got a young, promising rookie out of Ohio State. And DeWan Jones, who's going to be filling in, who had a great preseason, he should be fine, even though he is going to get tested against T.J. Watt next week. But I think he can handle his, I think he can handle his own. But Deshaun Watson, I mean, he did not play good in this game. And people are not talking about it because the Browns won. But this is week one. What's going to happen when you go up against Cincinnati again and Joe Burrow actually remembers how to play football again? Do you think you're going to be able to win nine to 10 games with 16 out of 29, 154 passing yards and one touchdown to 190 out of Deshaun Watson? Eventually, we need Deshaun Watson to wake up and show us something. We know that the Browns have a great team around Deshaun Watson. That never was the question about Cleveland. We all knew, even the biggest detractors of the Browns even gave them their props and said that they had a good team going into this year. What's going to make or break Cleveland this year is Deshaun Watson. So you come out and you get the win. That's cool, but I need your franchise quarterback mr 250 mil guaranteed to actually have some good games and we've yet to see it yes you got a really impressive win against the cincinnati Bengals. your defense looks really good under jim schwartz which is not a surprise because jim schwartz is one of the most respected and most highly praised defensive coordinators in the nfl for a reason but the cincinnati Bengals, man like what the hell happened to the offense? Like, did the guys go out the night before the game and get sick? Did they have a hangover or something? Like, did somebody put something bad in their breakfast that caused them to have a bad performance? Because this was a complete shit show out of Cincinnati. And you mainly got to point the fingers at Joe Burrow, which we will. He was missing open wide receivers. He was missing some routine throws downfield that he normally makes when he's in the zone. I mean, this Bengals offense just was out of sorts. And this is the kind of performances that you expect week one out of most teams. But I don't expect this out of Joe Burrow. I expect greatness out of Joe Burrow. I get 
that every quarterback has some bad performances and some bad games, but you just became the highest paid player in the history of this league. And this is the kind of performance that you deliver right after it. Okay, Joe Burrow, I hope you can get this fixed. I love you, but I, I can't excuse what the hell I saw out of you week one, man. Regardless how much I like you, I just got to call it how it is. You played like a bum. Honestly, like you were look, you were looking really bad out there, Joe Burrow. I know you missed a lot of time, but missing a lot of time shouldn't have you out there looking that bad. I mean, goodness gracious. Another season and the same old Chargers, the same old team that continues to get held back by Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley sucks as a head coach. Okay, I'm I'm tired of listening to the whole injury stuff. The he needs more time to get his guys in. What's your excuse now, Chargers fans, for losing 36 to 34 to the Miami Dolphins? What's your excuse for your defensive-minded head coach? Having his defense once again not show up when it matters the most. Brandon Staley has been the head coach of the LA Chargers for how many years? And I've yet to see him put elite defense on the field. Oh, we don't have so many injuries, JT. Like, you got to let him get his guys in there. Well, the Chargers' best players were playing in this game. Am I correct? And what did that mean? Absolutely nothing because Tyreek Hill still went for over a buck 200 and Tua still was going crazy on this defense. There's no more excuses you can give Brandon Staley. We got to cut the shit and we just got to keep this thing 100. We need to take feelings, fandom, and everything out of this when it comes to discussing Brandon Staley. You got J.C. Jackson, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack. You got one of the best defenses in the NFL when it comes to pure talent. How much more do you need for you to actually put a great defense on the field, Brandon Staley? You see, this is a huge red flag. When you're a head coach that specializes in something, if you're an offensive-minded coach, the offense shouldn't suck. And if you're a defensive-minded coach, the defense shouldn't suck. Because you know what that means when you specialize in something and what you specialize in isn't good? It means that you're not a good head coach. We saw last week or last year, excuse me, the L.A. Chargers play their starters in a meaningless game against the Denver Broncos, which resulted in Mike Williams getting hurt. And then that eventually played a large role in them losing to Jacksonville. We saw the questionable game management appear once again. I mean, Brandon Staley is not a good coach. He's a good coordinator. He's a smart dude. He's a good head coach when it comes to, you know, what he says after games at the podium. But the execution is never there, it seems like, ever. And it's the same problem that we saw with their previous head coach in Anthony Lynn. Poor execution, not being good in the big moments of games. Like, are the Chargers okay with wasting another Hall of Fame caliber quarterback's career? Because we already seen this same story once with Phillip Rivers. Are we going to see Chapter 2 with Justin Herbert getting his career wasted by Brandon Staley? 
I mean, you got Kellen Moore, and the offense looks really good, but where the fuck is the defense? I'm tired of hearing all these excuses for Brandon Staley like Chargers fans. Just wake up. You're not going to win with Brandon Staley as your head coach. You're not going to win this year. You're not going to win next year. And you're never going to win anything meaningful as long as he remains the head coach in L.A. I mean, once again, this defense is getting dog walked by an elite offense. And you can't make no excuses for it because you were more healthy in this game than what you were last year when you played the Miami Dolphins. And what's even funnier is that you boxed and you locked up Miami's offense last year with most of your star players being out for that game. Y'all remember Michael Davis? The cornerback who had number 43 for the Chargers last year? He was clamping up Tyreek Hill. So you mean to tell me that your defense plays worse with your starters than what it does with your backups? Because remember, last year, Sunday night football, second half of the season, the Chargers beat the Dolphins at home with their defense clamping up this Dolphins offense despite having several guys who were starters being out for that game. So how is it that your team gets fully healthy and the same team that you shut down offensively last year is exposing your defense with your defense being at full strength? Enough is enough of the excuses. Like, I'm tired of... People making excuses for Brandon Staley. This dude is not a good head coach. He just isn't. You got Justin Herbert, a top five quarterback in the league. In the same division as Patrick Mahomes. And yet, people always say the Chiefs are going to win that thing. And it's not going to be close. People act like Justin Herbert isn't as talented as Mahomes. Like, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the game, but let's not act like it's him and everybody else when it comes to talent. I mean, there are more talented quarterbacks in the league than there ever has been. Justin Herbert is a good enough quarterback for you to be winning this division, but you're not. You want to know why? It's not because you have an inferior roster compared to Kansas City. It's not because you have injury concerns like every other team does. It's because you have a terrible head coach and Brandon Staley. He sucks. No more excuses. It doesn't matter if this is week one. You guys cannot beat elite quarterbacks to save your life. This defense is terrible. If you're trying to become a championship team, you need a championship defense. Is this the kind of defense that you think is going to be able to help Justin Herbert capture a Super Bowl? You can't blame this on Justin Herbert. Final drive of the game for the Chargers offense, Justin Herbert gets double-creamed Oreo by Jalen Phillips and another edge rusher that comes humming off the edge unblocked. This team just never looks ready for big moments of games. Anytime that the Chargers are put in a situation and you tell them go win the game, they never win it. You want to know why? Because they're poorly coached. The Chargers are never going to win anything of worthwhile with Brandon Staley as their head coach. This team is going to be the NFL's biggest disappointment this year outside of the New Orleans Saints. I mean, they had no sacks. Miami's offensive line was dog water last year. We would have thought that the Chargers at least could have gotten one sack or two on Tua. 
This offensive line for the Miami Dolphins was looking all world. If this offense and this offensive line plays the way they did against the Chargers all year long, they're going to win the Super Bowl. This is the Chargers front that has some of the best pass rushers in the league, and they can't get pressure going up against one of the worst offensive lines in the league coming into this season. Like what? How do you allow Tyreek Hill, as great as he is, to go for over 200 against you? Multiple big plays. I mean, come on. There's no more excuses that you can make if you're a Charger fan for Brandon Staley. Because this shit is inexcusable. You got to realize that now you just don't have a good coach. And most of the Chargers fan base kind of already knows that. But a large majority still are leaving out hope. This team ain't going anywhere. I doubt they get to nine wins this season. I would be incredibly surprised if they get to nine wins. They're in too tough of a division and conference for them to have a winning record with a bad head coach. You see, you can win with a average or below average head coach if you're in a weak division and a weak conference, but the Chargers are in a division that has some of the best head coaches and the best quarterbacks in the game. Sean Payton, Andy Reid. I mean, you're going against two of the best offensive minds in the history of the National Football League. And yet, you have a defensive-minded coach that's yet to put an elite defense on the field. Brandon Staley, he can win the press conferences, he can win the X's and O's, but he can't win on the field when it actually matters. When it comes to the actual results and the wins and the losses, Brandon Staley comes up small. He had a great season when he was the defensive coordinator for the L.A. Rams. But since then, I've yet to see this dude put an elite defense on the field. The Chargers are not going anywhere when Brandon Staley as their head coach. Alabama got crushed in Tuscaloosa by Texas, 34-24. And what's next for the Crimson Tide? Because they normally don't lose at home. And now that they lost to Texas, you got people saying that it's over for the Tide. Their season is over. The Nick Saban-Bama dynasty has officially come to an end. Listen, I don't think that this loss is going to derail Alabama season. I would be surprised if Alabama just implodes because they lost to Texas. Texas is a really good team. No team just goes on the road and beats Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Any team that beats Alabama and Tuscaloosa is a good team. LSU in 2019, Ole Miss in 2015 with Hugh Freeze. I think that this win shows more about how good Texas is than it shows Alabama's dynasty being over. Alabama's next four games on the road against USF, they play Ole Miss at home, and then they got back-to-back road games against Mississippi State and Texas A&M, and then they have to play up against Tennessee. I'm pretty confident that Alabama can roll through their next four to five games. They may not dominate in those games. This may not be the Bama team that you used to be accustomed to over the last couple of years that just used to roll everybody that they play. With the way this team is built, they're going to be in a lot of close games. Their offense isn't built to spread you out all around field and just air the football out with Jalen Milrow. He's not that kind of quarterback. He's a quarterback that's going to win games based on his athleticism and making a couple of 
critical completions here and there when you need to throw the football. You don't have a incredible group of wide receivers. I know Alabama has a lot of five and four star guys at wide out, but I haven't really seen any wide receiver yet over the last year or so that made me go, oh yeah, like that's Alabama's next NFL wide receiver. Alabama was arguably wide receiver one that or wide receiver you at one point. They don't have any dynamic wide receivers that I really think give opposing defenses matchup problems when they're lined up one-on-one. Alabama has a really good offensive line, even though they did kind of struggle against Texas defensive line, but Alabama's offensive line should be able to open up a lot of running lanes for this run game. These receivers, they're not great, but they're not terrible. There's enough talent for this passing attack to be serviceable. Jalen Murrow is not the kind of quarterback that's going to give you 40 or 55 passing for 515 passing yards and 14 touchdowns. He's a quarterback that's going to win games based on his rushing ability. You're trying to win games with Jalen Murrow asking him to throw no more than maybe 20 times a game, and you want to run the football 40 to 50 times a game with him at the helm at quarterback. I don't think Jalen Milrow is a problem for Bama. I think that Jalen Milrow, he had his ups and downs in that Texas game. But the thing with Jalen Milrow is that in that game, anytime it seemed like he should have been benched, that's when he ended up coming through and making plays. And it's not like Jalen Milrow just was crappy back there for the whole entire game. I mean, he made some big throws. He made a couple of throws that made this a one-possession game at one point. It's just that Texas just had a really good team. I don't think Bama needs to make drastic changes after losing to Texas. Alabama showed a lot of fight. They're not a team that just gave up. They're a team that just got beat by what looks to be a more talented team. Alabama's next couple of games, they're not facing a team that's remotely as good as what Texas is until they play Texas A&M and Tennessee. And even then, The coaching isn't really an issue. I think Tommy Reese is really good as the offensive coordinator at Bama. I think he's done a really good job at running this offense to the... I think he's done a good job at running this offense the way Nick Saban wants this offense to be ran. Nick Saban isn't looking for those air raid arid or die offenses anymore he's looking to get back to the basics he wants to run the football down your throat he wants to say hey we're Alabama we out recruit you and we have better athletes than you we're just a better team than you they just want to play bully ball with you this was a game that Alabama went into ill-equipped and you don't really say that about Alabama but that's kind of how I view it Texas had way too much firepower on offense. Alabama, for them to beat this year's Texas team, they needed last year or the year before Alabama teams. They need the Alabama teams that didn't really have great defenses but had potent offenses to be able to go back and forth with Texas. This defense was going to keep them in this game, but this offense wasn't good enough to be able to keep up with Texas offense. Alabama does have the receivers that Texas has. They don't have the quarterback that Texas has. Alabama, to beat a team like Texas, they got to keep it low scoring, and they got to keep it slow pace. Alabama just isn't equipped 
to win games that come down to shootouts anymore with their current quarterback situation. But just because they lose to Texas, I don't think that means that the sky is crashing down for Nick Saban and the Alabama dynasty. You people look for every reason to doubt Alabama. You look for every reason to say it's over. You've been saying this shit for damn near a decade and they still keep winning. Texas is a good team. Texas probably is back. I think that this win shows us more that Texas is back than it shows that this being the end of the Alabama dynasty. Alabama, they didn't get steamrolled by Texas. It was a one-possession game. Jalen Murrow, even after his second interception, came back and had a big response. I think that Alabama is in a really good space right now, given the fact that you got USF coming up, which should give you enough time to rebound Jalen Milrow to regain his confidence. You got Ole Miss. I doubt their defense is going to be anything special given how Tulane was dotting those boys up. And you should be Mississippi State. We'll see about Texas A&M. I think you can beat Tennessee with you playing them at home unless you get into a similar game with Tennessee that you did Texas. But overall, I think that Alabama will bounce back. They may not make it to the playoffs. They still can, even though I don't think they will. And you can still win the SEC this year. Everything that Alabama wants to accomplish is still attainable. Their goals are still ahead of them. And I don't even think that we've seen the best of Alabama football yet this year. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in to this episode I feel like this is one of my best episodes that I've did in a very long time. If you haven't already, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern time. We're not going live on Fridays anymore. Um, the reason for it is because, man, like, I can't be live streaming every single day of the week, Sunday through Friday. I just can't do it. Like, I got to have at least one day off where I can take and dedicate all that day and time to getting right with this school stuff. And my assignments are start, are starting to pile up on me because of my live streaming schedule. So I at least got to take one day off. But I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode. If you enjoy, leave us with a five-star review. We're not just a YouTube channel. We're a podcast, and we are available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Leave us with a five-star review. We can't stress enough how important it is that you give us a five-star review. If you support the channel, go ahead and do so. Greatly helps us out a lot. I appreciate you guys for tuning in to this episode, and I'll see you guys tomorrow.